Welcome back to the last episode of Depolarize in America. This semester, we've discussed the best ways to combat polarization in American society. We've delivered the in-depth research discovered by our science and legal teams in Science Corps. I'm your host, Matt Simonson, and I'm joined by Hanny Yehekrenye and Jess Jersik. In this final episode, we will give a recap of the trial, announce the verdict, and hear from the media team about their experience in Science Corps. On April 24th, the trial opened with Science Corps instructor Alad Tadmar giving an introduction and background. Well, good morning and welcome to the 2021 Science Corps trial. The entire semester is this systematic process to develop the case as best as we can. Once we've developed it, we argue it in front of a jury of citizens, as I said, in a mock trial where we're presenting the pros and cons of the argument. After Professor Tadmore's introduction, the judge Bill McGinnis introduced the pro and con legal team as they began their opening statements. Representing the pro team, Mr. Andrew Bremner will give the opening statement for the pro legal team. Service. As Americans, service is more than something we do. It's something that defines who we are. Throughout our history, our greatest leaders have called us to something greater, service. And through serving together as Americans, unity. But today, we are far from united. We are facing a crisis of political and racial polarization that threatens to tear our country apart. Bremner called on a mandatory national service program to form unity in America by bringing all Americans together to work toward meaningful goals. Next, the Khan legal team in favor of a voluntary service program gave their opening statement. Good morning, members of the jury, your honor, and attendees. My name is Nishan Satpati, and I shall be giving the opening statement for the Khan team. Both sides of this trial are focused on one objective, to combat and reduce racial and political polarization in the United States. Where we differ is the way we approach this crucial problem. We are proposing a voluntary service program available to all American citizens. It is focused on the pure goal of bringing together a diverse group of people to take part in the plethora of productive activities. After the opening statements, the trial moved on to the science team with presentations about each domain. A key domain was economics, presented by science team member Minerva Zhao. To start out, I would like to begin by exploring the cost of political polarization, specifically through some examples you may be familiar with. The 2018 government shutdown. As the longest U.S. government shutdown thus far, this shutdown was the result of polarization between opposing parties in Congress and in the presidency. As a result of the shutdown, federal workers were delayed roughly $9 billion in compensation. In addition, the 2018 government shutdown also affected roughly $329 billion in total discretionary funding. This is roughly 25% of the U.S. government's total discretionary funding each year. Along with the cost of polarization, Zhao presented on findings about the individual and national benefits of military and civilian service programs. Key takeaways for the national benefits of civil service programs is that in the short term, an increase in volunteering is often associated with an increase in administrative costs, while in the long term, an increase in volunteering is often associated with a decrease in government spending. Expanding existing civil national service programs to affect 250,000 members from 80,450 would require $5 billion, but may also increase the social benefit cost ratio from 3.9 to 4.6. Along with economics domain, the psychology domain presented by Mannix White proved to be an essential for both a pro and con proposals. Contact theory occurs when different social groups make contact with each other, especially when the contact is facilitated and cooperative. Uh, and when this happens, almost every case prejudice between the groups is reduced. Conditions that are beneficial to the effectiveness of contact, but they are not necessary, are working towards a common goal, cooperation between groups, 
equal status among all of the participants and support or facilitation from an institution, which is the most important. It improves the result in reducing prejudice to the greatest degree. Jurors had many questions for both pro and con legal teams about how they best implement contact theory. Here's the the question from the jury. Would each program identify how that particular program can fulfill the four conditions specified as being necessary for contact theory? As we mentioned, this is the primary driving force. Let's say you're building a house. You would have teams that are heterogeneous working towards a common goal of building that house. Mr. Sapathy, could you respond? When it comes to cooperation between groups, we want to emphasize the fact that our program will ensure that the vetting process for programs which will take part in our service program will not be seminar-based or or lecture-based, but something where it involves people to take part in a group project or take part in community service. After the science team presentations, the trial moved on to the closing statements. What is our plan? Take bold action while the problem is still manageable. Who's going to be part of our plan? 18, 30-year-olds. What are they going to do? They're given a choice between military and civil service, contrary to what you hear about the cons team's characterization of us. How are they going to do it? Rank choice. We'll try to balance what their preferences are versus maintaining a heterogeneous group. As Jenny just said a few minutes ago, you need to put people in a different environment to get good results. How long? Six months. How many? If we estimate 5 million Americans turning 18 per year, they would be our focus, and we would promote it towards to them as a gap year uh, to learn useful skills. And a stipend would be provided to all what happens if somebody does not do it? Well, we will inflict financial penalties that the government can, whether that's social security reduction, increased taxes, etc. Well, let's look at what the con team has to say. What's the alternative here? They talk about choice with incentives. I argue it could be self-selection. It's hard to guarantee that every that you would get a diverse group. But even then, what is the how is it different from the status quo? where people self-select. I say that we do not restrict any other age group from volunteering. They can do so. Somebody age 31, 60 can volunteer their own free will. There's no policy in place to do that. But they also talk about flexibility in terms of young people. The incentives of educational loans, non-competitive hiring statuses would serve to benefit many young people, even though there may be older people going to college, but they are targeting the same group as us. They talk about community. We don't disregard the value of serving in your community. It's still possible before and after. What we are insisting is that for six months, you perform service in an area that's not on your own to get exposed to ideas and a culture that you were normally not been exposed to. Thank you very much for your closing statement. Ms. Stankovitz. Now, polarization within the United States is not a new concept. It's existed for decades and it's become deeply entrenched in U.S. society. Generations of the American people have seen the effects of polarization firsthand, and it has affected our lives. Thus, the solution to polarization must not only be extensive, but also be easily implemented into American society. Now, why our program? Well, first of all, we go into who can do it, those 16 and older. By targeting a larger age range, we can depolarize society quicker. By the mandatory service program only targeting 18 to 30-year-olds, society will not be depolarized until that very first group reaches old age, so 50 to 70 years. Are we really willing to wait that long for depolarized society? We say no. Additionally, by not involving the older generations, they're completely disregarding those people's experience in life. So 
Then we come to building a community. It's important to remember that a city or a state is not a monolith. Sending people around the nation far away from their communities assumes that every city is the same racially, politically, generationally, and socioeconomically. We know that this is not true. Polarization is not just a national issue. It's a state issue. It's a city issue. It, to a certain extent, could even be considered a neighborhood issue. Now, our program, as we have said, would incentivize people to join by forgiving student loans for those who participate, as well as potentially give participants non-competitive hiring status within their government jobs. Now the goal is a depolarized society. However, the goal is also lower unemployment. The goal is also trust within one's community and safer communities, which service has proven to do. Now, when deciding upon which program is best, it is important for the jury to consider not only which would solve the issues of polarization, but be able to be easily implemented in the United States. After hours of trial, it is left to the jury to decide the case on how to best fight polarization. The next day, jurors met to deliberate. To one juror, Siri Larson, the case really highlighted the issue of polarization. My big takeaways were just how much of a problem polarization is in the United States. Just really striking how much um, of an issue and like how much we need to address it now. With polarization being such a critical issue, jurors noticed each side's agreements that it must be tackled. Everybody was very passionate about the topic and about fighting polarization and about what it is that they could do in practice to reduce it in its impact. So I, I wasn't really expecting a debate, but I was, I was impressed by the thought they gave to the subject and the depth of the argument, especially because they were all in agreement, basically. Jurors looked to key domains to understand the complexities of polarization, such as economics. What really stood out to me was just the, the return on investment on these programs would be in reducing polarization. Another key domain was psychology. Talking about contact theory and, you know, they discussed the evidence for either program as long as you could get that mixture of viewpoints and political affiliations, you'd be able to have success in uh, reducing polarization. Other jurors believed looking at other options beyond service programs would best tackle polarization. Theory must be that if we can bring citizens together in groups, uh, working together on common goals and so on, that somehow or another that translates into Congress working together. Uh, that is a kind of a leap of faith, which I think bears further discussion, and I'm not so convinced that that would work. With all these diverse thoughts, it's up to the jurors to decide this case. I am very open to talking about it and seeing where we go from there. And now it is the decision of the jury panels of Science Court that the mandatory national service program, as argued by the pro team, should be adopted. Thanks for following along with us this entire semester. You can listen to all of our podcast episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For a week-to-week -week recap of events, check out our blog posts on the Science Court website. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at SciCourt. This semester, the media team worked to keep you updated via weekly blog posts and on social media. Through our podcast episodes, we dug deep into analysis of domains with science team members. Also, you got to hear from a former member of Science Court and Army member, Luke Diamond, about his experience in the military and thoughts on public service. We love producing content for you and thought it would be good to reflect on our experience in Science Court. I'm here with the rest of the media team, and you guys can introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Hannah Yehakwinya. And I'm Jess Jersik. Start us off. We just had our recent version 
verdict. And I'm curious if you guys are like surprised by the verdict of the trial. I was kind of preferring the mandatory service as the as the verdict. And it kind of seemed like through my juror interviews, that's what they were kind of leaning towards too. Um, and I think a key reason to that was because a voluntary service, I feel like a lot of the volunteers and participants would be already very polarized and they'd all already be very opinionated with their views on politics. So I feel like a mandatory service would be able to uh, mandate and enforce a better system that would impose maybe a stronger American identity and uh, make us less polarized society. Yeah, I think I took a little bit of an opposite approach going in. I expected the, the the con team to win. They were arguing for voluntary service. And that was because um, I really resonated with the argument that sometimes when you're when people are forced to do something, they're less likely to like learn from that experience and, and benefit from it. That was something that one of our classmates, Jenny Lim, researched um, in the education domain. So I really stuck with that. So I was a little bit surprised by the verdict, but both sides made really good cases it would have been hard to pick one in either either way, I think. Oh my gosh, I agree with both of you. Like when the trial was happening, I was like, oh, they're going to pick mandatory because I feel like they just had more of a deliberate plan and you would have more people in it. But like if you would ask me this question like a month or two ago, I would have been like, oh yeah, the con proposal. And to argue for like the con side in terms of diversity, they'd have a larger age group, anyone 16 or older, whereas the mandatory is this 18 to 30. Kind of curious what the main domains of research you guys maybe found the most important or the most impactful that helped the jury decide this case. For me, it was more, um, I think psychology was a big one, um, debating whether to mandate people and to force people um, or to have them volunteers, a big psychological impact. And especially when uh, Mannix White talked about contact theory during the trial, uh, that was a big arguing point for both sides. I'm curious what you guys thought. Um, contact theory was a big one. It took me a little bit to wrap my head around what that means for this trial. Um, but once I did, um, then I could definitely see how, yeah, that was super relevant. I was surprised that economics wasn't as big. Like I really thought the jury was going to talk more about the costs for both plans, but that didn't really come up a lot. So that was interesting. And we talked about with Minerva about the economics domain and inputs and outputs are really difficult to um, calculate and determine when, especially when we haven't done it before and we're still trying to figure out how, how we can do it and what the cost would be. So it's a lot of predicting. As with like our experience with science court, what are some of like surprising parts of science court that you really enjoyed throughout this whole this whole experience? I think for me, this was a really good exercise in using like virtual co-working effectively. Um, I had some serious doubts at the beginning of the semester about how this would work, not in a regular classroom setting because in my experience, group projects can be so difficult over Zoom. But I think we, especially like our little team here, we did a good job with that. And even the trial, I thought, worked really well in a virtual format, which I was also a little bit nervous about going into it. How about like guest lectures like that came around through throughout the semester? We had uh, Carrie Miller uh, talk about just our, our case and analyzing our case early in the semester. Tim Rank, one of the attorneys. I feel like they were very um, influential I thought hearing from Tim Rank was so fun. It was so interesting to hear about how he thinks about his arguments and all of like the preparation that goes into formulating an argument and the way he talked about like how he thinks about the other side's argument and like how he can kind of like even if there's a weakness to his argument, how he can kind of like introduce that in his own opening statement and throughout the case to lessen the extent to which the other side can use that weakness against him. I love when Carrie came just because I was fangirling half the time. But no, I thought that was really cool and her getting us to like think about different questions about the case and what we aren't thinking about. All, all good points for sure. 
And in terms of the overall general idea of science court, in terms of like the impact and how it impacted me personally, it was very good to have like a good like civic discussion, understand and um, have hear of people's opposing viewpoints and be able to debate and have a good discussion. What was our like our favorite uh, thing that happened in science court? For me, it would have to be, I really enjoyed working with you two on the media team. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I think we did a really nice job, even though there are only three of us producing so many different kinds of media. The podcast episodes were probably my favorite because we really got to dig in about the research. Yeah, I totally agree to that because it's it's definitely a team effort, uh, not just not just us as a media team, but also the science team and the legal team. If there was no media team, there would be no jury. If there was no science team, there'd be no facts. If there was no legal team, there'd be no uh, case statement to argue. Okay, well, thank you, uh, media team, uh, for joining us, and we will uh, see you next year. Bye.